Amen, amen, amen. Morning. How are you guys? So good. Thanks, Ash. Morning, everybody. Great to be back. We were in Nashville uh, last week for a, a big gala with Bob Goff. Uh, Bob's been a friend for uh, a long, long time before we were married. Um, we were friends, and it was the 10th anniversary of Love Does. We raised three million bucks for what they're doing around the world in Uganda and Afghanistan, and just incredible. Very, very blessed. Uh, great time together, and uh, having it there in Nashville, we were able to visit my youngest son and his wife, and uh, they've just moved there. They've been there six months now, and um, to see their home and their community go to church together and, uh, and to watch from there Mitch as he's preaching here. Didn't he do a good job? Mitch did a great job last weekend. So, uh, so good. We're in this series together. If you want to grab a Bible with me, we are in Exodus, Exodus chapter 34. And uh, I love how this whole deal develops into some pretty incredible headlines. Uh, have one for you today. And just going to continue on here uh, in our series. We've got a lot going on here at the church. It's going to be an amazing week. Uh, as we jump into the Sermon on the Mount this week, where our midweeks are concerned. And I'd uh, love to have you come out for that. Guys, we have a Tuesday early morning session that meets, if that fits with your schedule. Uh, as well as gals on Tuesday morning around 9.30. And then Wednesday night, the campus is packed. And uh, all of that following certainly in the great outreach of which we uh, have provided now for decades uh, where this harvest uh, Halloween alternative is concerned. I'm very grateful for it. I'm very proud of our church uh, for continuing to step out in faith and provide an alternative. Uh, this will be a drag-free event. <laughs> and uh, fentanyl-free uh, a lot of craziness going on out there, and so we rent the best rides that are available and throw the biggest party possible and uh, shine some light into what, as Pastor Stephen has said accurately, uh, really a celebration of darkness. And so even if you don't have kids, I'd encourage you to be here. I'd encourage you to come and support it and... Um, Let's just throw the, the, greatest, the greatest party in town. And, um, and then next week will be a little groggy because it's the time change and all. Uh, we're going to celebrate communion and that'll keep you going. Can you believe October is behind us? We um, are just amazed at how fast time's flying. We're going to be Christmas before you know it and all. And um, Got some needs on staff, if uh, you know anyone who might be looking or interested. We got more kids than we have teachers to, uh, to instruct, so if, if you're a teacher or you, you want to dust that thing off the shelf, and uh, we'd love to have you in our early ed program, uh, as well as facilities. We, we have uh, some, some great needs uh, that are around. I, I love what, just throw something there into Exodus, um, there's a passage that comes to mind here as uh, Mitch was taking us through this over in Psalms. And uh, do you have a moment just to turn to Psalm? Psalm 85 uh, sets up our time in Exodus this morning very, very uh, poignantly. It's written in um, the 85th Psalm, not by David. Um, 
It's written by the sons of Korah. Now, if you know anything about these guys, this, this was quite a, a rebellious crew. And they really had sort of watched the heritage of their ancestors lead this pride march uh, that ultimately would cause for the earth to open up and swallow them whole. And here are sort of now the descendants of, Tor- of Korah that, that would write uh, and would pray uh, and, and would say, look at verse 4, Restore us, O God, God of our salvation. Cause your anger towards us to cease. Um, will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again? Will you not revive us? This is like the heritage shift here where the Sons of Korah are, are concerned, and they're, they're sort of pushing all of their chips now to the center of the table and saying, we're, we're all in with Yahweh. We're all in with the Lord, and wanting him to restore, wanting him to revive. Uh, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your mercy. This is exactly what we're talking about in Exodus. It's right where Mitch left off. It's a God who desires to be known, first and foremost, right out of the gate, for his mercy. And his mercy is new every morning, and new every morning because that's how often we need it. He's a merciful God, and, and here the, the sons of Korah are, are given this shot, this chance to get right with God, as are the Israelites at the base of Mount Sinai. Here's what's fascinating about that. In this picture of God wanting to portray himself as being merciful, 3,000 die. The same number die at the base of Mount Sinai that are saved on the day of Pentecost. That's pretty fascinating. That in the midst of it, he, he wants to see us make the right choices. As even... Both Moses and Joshua would declare, I I have set choices before you today. You had a choice this morning. You and your family had a choice this morning. And here both Moses and Joshua say, "I, I set before you choices. I set before you life and death. Blessings and cursings. And here the 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 relatives of the tribe of the clan of Korah, who, th- who thought they knew better, who had their own truth to find and, and, and felt they could, they could manage and lead much better than Moses. That was their whole stick. That was their whole spin. And, and now the, the relatives are like, no, 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 we want to come back to Jesus. We want to come back to the Lord. We want to come back. Will you revive us? Will you restore us? Will, will you hear us as, as we as we pray. And then they declare this. Look at this. Here's where we're headed. Look at the setup here in verse 10. Mercy and truth have met together. And that's what you're going to see in Exodus chapter 34. That's the first thing that he declares in verse 6 and the last thing he declares in verse 6. That mercy and truth have met together. In fact, look at this. Look at this. Righteousness and peace have kissed. A truth has sprung forth truth shall spring out of the earth righteousness shall look down from heaven yes the lord look at this look at this 
The Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Hallelujah. What a verse in the midst of inflation and recession that God has not abandoned us. He's not through. He's not done. He will finish and he will conquer. He will complete that which he has begun. He will perfect it and complete it under the day of Christ Jesus. And our land will yield its increase. Look at verse 13. Look at this verse. Righteousness will go before him and shall make his footsteps our pathway. Isn't that a great verse? This is a great verse leading into elections. Right? Like, like, um, like whose footsteps are you following? Whose voice are you listening to? Who are you, who are you trusting in? Well, I got to roll. We got to go. Look at Exodus chapter 34. I, lo- I love how this is set up for us. Let me just back up for a second and, uh, and remind you, verse 5, Exodus 34, verse 5, now the Lord descended in a cloud. Okay, this is, this is absolutely fascinating. Uh, and regularly, this would be his, 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 his mode and form through which he then would communicate. How many times are, 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 are we led throughout the scriptures by, by this God who chooses to go before us and, 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 and for Israel would lead them in the form of this cloud by day. Had a, had a gal that reached out to uh, Vaughn while we were gone, while we were in Nashville, and she, she pulled out her phone and she clicked this picture of the sunset and, 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 and it just sort of like was this depiction in the sunset of of the first letter of Yahweh's name, like, in, like inscribed across the skies. Yo, 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 yo. Just like, and I don't know about you, I am still, I still get chills over what together we gleaned and learned of the, of the, of the meaning of the letters of the name of Yahweh. And she's like, look at this. It was just sort of like this banner across the sky of the first letter of, of, of God in the clouds. This, this cloud, this, this Lord descends in the clouds. It would actually then incidentally be the same cloud that would overshadow Mary in Luke chapter 1. She's like, how is this going to be? I've never even been with a guy. And the angel says, oh, oh, the Holy Spirit's got this. And the Lord himself will descend, it will overshadow you. This, cl- this cloud is represented in the miracle conceiving birth of Mary, the Christmas story. It would be the same cloud on the Mount of Transfiguration where Peter, James, and John would see him in all of his glory. You see, I think we need to have our head in the clouds. The Bible would actually declare to us in 1 Thessalonians that we who remain will be caught up (laughs) to meet the Lord in the clouds. That when he returns, according to Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, he will return, he will come again in the clouds. The the cloud would represent the presence of the Lord in the 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 presence of the Lord, the cloud in the temple of Solomon was so thick, his presence so thick, that the priests 
The priest had to leave. The priest had to flee because the presence was so intense. That's what Moses is experiencing here. Look at this, look at this. The Lord descended in the cloud and he stood with him there and, and, and listen, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord, uh, here we go. Here's, here's our verse, verse six. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. Cal, I would love for you to underline those two thoughts in your Bible this morning. He passed before him. That's experiential. And, and I would wish for you that same experience. Guys, I would wish for you this week that personal encounter and experience with the Lord. Gals, I would, I, would, I would want that for you. I would pray that for you this week. I think we all need that experience, but it's not all about experience. And we have become very experiential creatures. And we can be up and down and have highs and lows based on our experiences. So it just isn't the experience. In fact, look at this. Throw that slide up, you guys. It's, it's experiential and it's empirical. What's the difference? One is based on emotion and one is based on evidence. And he says to him here, and in fact, I, I, I would say weighing in more heavily than the experience is the empirical data and evidence of his word. In fact, that's what he declares twice to us, that he proclaimed to Moses the word of the Lord. So if, you, if you're looking for the experience, I would say to you this. I would say, get into the empirical data and evidence of the word of God and let him reveal himself to you through that. Look what he says. He's like, he's like I passed before him, it's experiential, and proclaimed the Lord, Yahweh, the Lord, Yahweh, God, Elohim, Yahweh, Yahweh, Elohim, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. And so there you have it from Psalm 85. You have, you have mercy and truth have met together this in the rolling out of God's description of himself, his own headline. So I am, this is in between the, 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 the tablets, the, the, the first set that were shattered on the rocks and ultimately ground into powder and, and poured into the drinking water, all the, they all had to drink it. And, 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 then the, and then the Lord merciful and gracious saying, I'm a God of second chances. Why don't you come back up here, Moses? Bring some tablets with you and I'll, I'll, I'll etch out in the stone for you again how I want you to live. And in between the declaration of those two sets of tablets is the Lord who then with these headlines says to his people how he wants to be known. Yahweh, Yahweh, merciful and gracious and long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. I don't know about you, but I'm sort of looking around at the society these days and the culture and the world these days, and there seems to be a lack of goodness and truth, and yet here the Lord says, I'm abounding in it. 
keeping mercy for thousands and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means declaring the guilty, clearing the guilty. He's like, wait a minute, I thought he was merciful. Yeah, there's limits. Not a God you want to mess around with. By no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation, period, stop, end of quote. I added it up. 51 words. This is Moses' area 51. (laughs) We got to know what we're getting into. This is Moses' close encounter with a God who declares himself Hallelujah, we have a God who declares himself first and foremost out of the gate as one who is merciful and gracious. And Mitch beautifully, brilliantly broke down for us the meaning of the difference of those two terms and not quite so interchangeable as we might sometimes make them to be. And yet here he goes on and says, there's some other things I want you to know. I want you to know my name and I want you to know my nature. I want you to know me. I want you to know me, Moses. Earlier in this chapter, very same chapter, it says that they met together as friends. And I think that's what Psalm 85 is depicting. I think you got a bunch of the sons of Korah that are saying, we want to be friends with you, God. We don't want the Old Testament just to be some archaic gathering of historical records that would describe to us a guy named Daniel in the lion's den or a guy named Jonah in the belly of the whale or a guy named Noah who builds a boat. More than all of those combined, we want to know you, God. I pray that's your prayer on this Sunday morning in Sandy. Lord, we want to know you. Not just your name, but your nature. And he says, I am, I am Yahweh. I am Yahweh. And you can experience me. You can know me as a friend. You can follow in the cadence of my footsteps. What a beautiful picture of friendship Psalm 85 paints for us. This is the autobiography of God. This is for us before the last book of the Bible is written through the vision and revelation that is given to John. This is the revelation. Exodus 34, the most quotable verse in all of the Old Testament. Yahweh, Yahweh. I am who I am. I'm always the same, yesterday, today, and forever. You can count on it. You can take it to the bank. The writer of Hebrews says that we're to believe that he is. Not that he was. Not what he someday will be when when he comes, this conquering king, to set up his kingdom and to restore all that is broken, but that he is now. Present tense, to believe that he is. Here and now. And then the writer goes on to say in Hebrews, it's 11, Hebrews 11, verse 6, jot it down, that he is the rewarder of those, come on, who diligently seek him. Well, this is the heart of the sons of Korah. And this is certainly the heart of Moses as he would intercede on 
on, on, on behalf of a, of a whole lot of rebellious people down at the base of the mountain. And what the Lord, even in the midst of their sin, what the Lord wants them to know about him, even in the midst of their rebellious streak, is that he is a God who is merciful, number one. That he is a God who is gracious, number two. That he is a God who is long-suffering, number three. And you should say it like this, long-suffering. You have a long-suffering God. Some of you are like, I, I don't want anything to do with suffering, long or short. No, 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 you want a God who is long-suffering. Some of your translations, New American Standard says, slow to anger. That's number three. Know this about God today. Know this horizon. Know that he is merciful and he is gracious. Know that he is long-suffering and he is slow to anger. We have a God today who does not need to attend anger management. He doesn't fly off the handle. He doesn't have a short fuse. He is long-suffering. That's what Peter means when he writes and says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise to return. Remember, he had to sort of tamp down all of these rumors of people that were sort of just like, where is this God that you keep saying is going to return? You Calvary Chapel pastors, I'm telling you what, you've been saying the same thing since the 60s. The Lord's gonna come back at any time. The Lord's gonna, where is he? Peter finally has to tamp it all down and say, he is not slack concerning his promise. He is, what, long-suffering, long-suffering. We have a God this morning, church. We have a God this morning who is not hurrying the day of judgment. Wow, that ought to make you feel good. He is not hurrying along the day of judgment. He is long-suffering, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Number three, he is long-suffering. Number four, he is abounding in goodness and truth. Uh, there's a book out right now that I'm extremely fond of by Elisa Childers called Live Your Truth. Live Your Truth. You do you. Live your truth. Here's the, here's the title of the book. Here's the entire title. Live Your Truth and Other Lies. She's phenomenal. I, I don't even know if we're able to keep this book in the bookshop. But you ought to make a, bad, a mad dash over there, just like straight to the bookshop after the service. And get your, get your name down on the wait list for Live Your Truth and Other Lies. She wrote a book called Another Gospel, which talks about progressive Christianity. And how there is just a movement right now, sadly, that is redefining who God is. Well, let me tell you, Exodus 34 clearly defines who God is. 
There's another gospel. It's become social justice that has taken the place of the finished and completed atoning sacrifice and work that Jesus accomplished for us on the cross of Calvary. And uh, what, a, what a mouthpiece for this generation Alyssa Childers has become. Many of you would be familiar in knowing that she is the lead singer of Zoe Girl. Some of you are like, you just lost me totally. In fact... <laughs> She married the drummer. How awesome to marry the drummer. And if that isn't the generation of which you are beholding, then you will remember her as the daughter of Chuck Gerard, the lead singer of Love Song. And she now has become this incredible writer. Some of my other books, some people write me and they go, all you mentioned is C.S. Lewis. Do you read anything other than C.S.? Okay. Um, the story of reality uh, ought to be on your on your book list. These are some Christmas present options for you to consider. Uh, the Story of Reality is Greg Kukul's book. Uh, I believe he co-authored it, maybe with Lee Strobel. The, the Story of Reality is how the world began, how the world ends, and everything important in between. How's that? That's an awesome book for you to read to your kids or to your grandkids. He wrote another book called Tactics, which just does an amazing job of of just describing and explaining in modern day terms a game plan for one's marriage and family and raising of kids in this world. Can't say enough about cold case Christianity. We've had Jay Warner Wallace here at the church and anything you can get your hands on that Wallace writes, uh, I would highly recommend to you. Um, I Don't Have Enough Faith uh, is Frank Turek's book. Uh, co-authored with uh, Norm Geisler. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist is the full title of that book. Uh, fascinating read, absolutely phenomenal. Jeremiah Johnston uh, is on staff down in Dallas with uh, Jack Graham at Prestonwood, uh, a church that I highly recommend for anyone moving to Dallas area. He wrote a book called Unanswered. Um, his subtitle is Lasting Truth. We're talking about truth today. Lasting truth for trending questions. Lasting truth for trending questions. And then I, I, love, uh, I love Hugh Ross. And I know everyone who believes in uh, a young earth is going to write me because I just said that. Go ahead. You can. That's fine. We've had Hugh Ross here at the church uh, as well as everybody from... Um, the Institute of Creation. Love both of these guys. They're all on the same team. But uh, Hugh has done an amazing job of combining all of the scientific things that are there for us to discover in the oldest book of the Bible, that being the book of Job, the hidden treasures uh, scientifically that are found uh, in the book of Job. And all of these would lead us to this thought to which Verse 6 ends with that he is a God abounding both in goodness and truth. These are books that would aid us together in discovering the truth. The truth isn't relative, you guys. The truth isn't just what's trending. And the truth isn't just what feels good. And that truth just isn't your selective collection of facts. Truth is what God declares. 
Truth here according to scripture is not only being declared by God, it's not only being displayed by God, both empirically and uh, experientially, it's not just being declared and displayed, truth is being defined. Jesus said, I am the way, come on, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no man comes to the Father except by me. I, I know that has become very politically incorrect as a verse, but it's what the Lord declares, and you have to decide for yourself, even as Pilate asked, what is, what is truth? And here is his own headline and description of, of who he is. And I think tucked into this list is the greatest trait of all, God's greatest trait. What is it? Well, Mitch certainly drilled down and shared with us the graciousness of God, the mercy of the Lord. And here he would go on and declare himself to be long-suffering. It's a very fascinating word, this word, this word long-suffering. It's the word erek, erek in Hebrew, erek, E-R-E-K, erek, erek means means um, means long I mean, it means slow 15 times it means it means it means slow 35 times means long erek anaphim anaphim anaph knows Nose? You're saying God has a long nose? This is the exact translation of the Hebrew in Exodus 34. And anaph, nose, anaphim, puts the plural on it, that he's two no nostrils. What are you, where are you going? What are we in fact, it first shows up in Genesis. Look at Genesis chapter 2 with me. This word shows up. This word anaphim shows up in Genesis chapter 2. This fascinating picture. We just saw it in men's study a few Wednesday nights ago. In verse 7 of Genesis chapter 2, it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. Incidentally, not in the garden. Man was not made in the garden. He was made outside the garden and later moved in. Did you know that? You were created in sin. garden isn't even around yet. And then in having formed him out of the dust of the ground, he then moves him into the garden to which he has created and made for man to enjoy. And that is the invitation of salvation that is found in the name of Jesus. This is the truth of the matter. That we were formed outside of the, you were, you were formed in sin. wasteland the lord formed man the dust of the ground and and then breathed into his nostrils anaphim into his nose the breath of life and man became a living being look at psalm 2 look at psalm 2 with me just for a second shows up again shows up in genesis 2 Shows up in Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is that famous psalm that says, why do the nations rage? 
What's going on these days? Why do the kings of the earth set themselves, rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against the Lord's anointed, it says in Psalm 2. And then verse 5, Psalm 2 verse 5 says, and he shall speak to them in his wrath. You know that word wrath is? Nostrils. It's a word picture. It's a, it's a saying, it's an old Hebrew saying. That, and, 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 and here that he will, he, he will speak to them in his, in, his, in, his, in, his, in his wrath. Anaphim, in his nostrils. You mean he's going to talk like this? What are you getting at? What is the... It, it ultimately would be, in, in fact, look at the rest of the verse. And distress them in his deep dis- displeasure. You know what that word is? Heat, red, hot. So the picture to which God is displaying for himself is that although he could be red in the nose, red in the cheeks, filled with wrath and anger towards those Israelites that are now worshiping around a golden calf at the base of the mountain, he is not. In fact, he is instead Eric Anaphim, long-suffering, long distance towards him becoming hot and filled with wrath and anger and rage. In fact, he is instead abundantly, overwhelmingly filled with goodness and truth. The major threat right now is this progressive move of Christianity, this shift in wanting to change who God is. And yet he is consistently the same. We have to be careful of trusting in our own truth. Be careful of those who are wise in their own eyes. Who are thinking like so did the clan and tribe of Korah that their plan makes more sense. We're living at a time, church, right now where it seems to me as if we are surrounded by anything but an abundance of goodness and truth. The truth is we are living in a post-truth world. And yet Jesus continually through the power of his spirit and the truth of his word is wanting to break in to all that is broken down. Like, Where is that getting us? This time in which life is being defined and described by one's own truth. Live your truth. And other lies. But I've discovered that we choose what we believe. 
Who are you going to go with? You're going to trust him. We choose what we believe. Eve did. Korah did. Israel did. We're choosing to believe that Moses isn't coming back down from that mountain. That, that, that this God needs to be replaced. Pilate did. What is truth? My beliefs are my responsibility. What am I, what am I choosing to believe? Am I choosing to believe that there is this approachable God where the curtain has now been torn and access has now been available for us to know him personally as if this revelation of what Moses is experiencing is, 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 is the best that God's got? Not at all. He would now place himself, God does, in the form of a human body to be born this baby in Bethlehem that we could approach Follow and trust and believe and know and love. I've discovered that we have a choice in this matter. A choice as to what we choose to believe. And the benevolence of it all is that he wants you to know this morning that he is abundantly available to you through his mercy and through his grace which incidentally neither have anything whatsoever to do with fairness. He is benevolent in what we don't deserve. His grace and his mercy towards us. Not only benevolent, but bountiful. Bountifully overflowing, never runs out of goodness and, and, and truth. The word truth there in Hebrew, do you know what it is? Amet, where we get our English transliteration, amen. When we say amen, we're saying truth, truth, man. Amen doesn't mean let's eat. Amen means truth. He is the, he is the truth. And he is bountiful in it. He is bountiful in goodness and truth. Which I submit to you this morning is his greatest trait. What difference does it make how merciful he is if what he is saying isn't true? What difference does it make if he is gracious with us if ultimately what he is saying isn't true? What goodness is it? I mean, this is how cults are formed. And what good is it if he is abounding in falsity? That ultimately what you need to know this morning, and yes, all of these matter and are entirely important for us to grab hold of and, and, and trust a merciful God and a gracious God and long-suffering God. He is slow to anger. Hallelujah. What does any of that matter if what we are talking about is not true this morning? And you have a crowd around you, you have a world that's waiting for you outside these doors. 
seems as if, and certainly with all of the commercials leading up to the elections, you're kind of wondering what in fact is true where all of these candidates and propositions are concerned. Well, I can tell you this morning one thing that is, and it is God. He not only declares it and he not only displays it, but he defines that he, in fact, is the very source of all that is true. It's fascinating to me that over in Jeremiah, there is this declaration that God pronounces to the people that is quite odd and, 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 and hard to absorb and receive. He says, you're all going to Babylon. You're all actually going into captivity, he declares in Jeremiah chapter 27. For 70 years, you're going into captivity. And um, I wish we had time to look at it this morning. I would, I would any, more than any book that I've put up on the screens for you to consider purchasing, it would be this right here. <laughs> and in particular, Jeremiah. Get into Jeremiah and realize, because it's hard for us not to feel these days, certainly living for those who have decided to remain in the state of California, as if we are not living in captivity. God says, I'm sending you into captivity. I'm sending you into captivity in Babylon for 70 years. And then he says this to him. He says, and seek the peace of the city. And that's not Jerusalem. Seek the peace of the city. Build yourself homes there in captivity. Plant yourself gardens there in captivity. For what I am going to prove to you in this season of captivity is that I am still a God of truth who can carry you through your difficult seasons and storms in which you feel as if you are living in captivity. Well, you know who comes along in Jeremiah? A knucklehead by the name of Hananiah. And Hananiah, in Jeremiah chapter 28, says, no, 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 that isn't God at all. That isn't God at all. God would never send us into captivity, and if he does, it's not going to be for 70 years. I call him hotshot Hananiah. And he's going to preach a message that everybody wants to hear. That if, in fact, we do have to go into captivity, it's only going to be for two years. And the Lord's going to deliver us and set us free. And that's a sermon that everybody's going to get dressed up and drive over to the church to hear because it sounds a lot better than the one old Jeremiah's been preaching. In fact, when Hananiah gives his sermon, Jeremiah looks at him and says, Amen. In other words, Jeremiah's saying, I'd like to believe what you're selling. And then the Lord circles back with Jeremiah and says, just to be clear, what hotshot Hananiah is selling is a pack of lies. I'm actually a God of my word, a God of truth, and I'm sending you into captivity. And I will prove myself to you, even in the midst of you feeling as if you were living under that type of regime. And so pray for the peace of the city, for in its peace you will find peace. And build yourself homes and plant yourself gardens. And so Jeremiah meets with hotshot Hananiah and says, Stop spreading your lies. 
And if you continue it, you're going to die. And he does. Dies on the spot. To which then God gives Jeremiah a letter. And you know what the letter says. You know what it says? It says one of your favorite verses in all the Bible. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says one translation. Plans and thoughts of peace and not of evil. Wait a minute, hold on. Are we still going into captivity? Yeah, you are. For 70 years you are. But all things work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. And he would prove himself to them in that plight, in that midst to which right now has become for us here in this country, in this state, in this culture and condition, in this community, rather remarkably similar. And I'm wondering in the midst of it, which truth you're trusting in. Is your truth truthful? Because the only one that I can find that is, is the one that he declares. Now the crowd isn't going along with that. Do you know that in scripture there are three things that Barabbas uh, was in prison for. Do, do, do you know what those three things are? He was in prison for being a thief, for being a murderer, and for being a rebel. And the whole crowd, right, the whole crowd is screaming, we want Barabbas, we want Barabbas, we want you to, we want you to crucify Jesus, and we choose the one who is, think of it, think of it, the one who steals, kills, and destroys. Stick with the truth. Lord, we, we, we pray and, and, and ask for your blessing on our time of study today, Lord. That we clearly would know as we go into another week that your greatest trait of all, I mean, even more than your mercy and grace and goodness and patience and gentleness with us, that we can build our lives and families in knowing that you are true. You are the truth. You are abounding in goodness and truth. Amen, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that in the midst of all of the slippery slopes and sinking sands, we can stand upon the truth of your word, knowing that you are not just a God of authority, and you are. But authority has come under question these days like no other time in history. 
You are a, a, a God who is altruistic towards us. You are, you are, you, you, you are philanthropic, Lord. You are, you are loving and you are merciful and you are gracious. You are all-powerful. You are all-knowing. You are abundant, lacking in no good thing. You are gorgeous. You are beautiful. You are artistic. There are many things out there, you guys, that are artistic. One of the most artistic features of the landscape of Jerusalem is sadly the Dome of the Rock. And as gorgeous and artistic as it is, what it represents is a pack of lies. Would you please this morning make sure that you just aren't falling in love with things that are trending, with things that are artistic, with things that are attractive, even with things that are abundant in their goodness. You need things in your life right now that are true, that are accurate. Moms and dads and wives and husbands that are desiring deeply to raise their kids free from the lies and traps of the enemy. I am encouraging you this morning to build your homes and marriages and families on the truth of God's word. And as you do, you will discover him to be a merciful God, a gracious God, a slow to anger God, a God who is abounding in goodness because his greatest trait of all is this is written by a God who is true. Would you stand?